0: The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Come along. September 30th, 2022. It is 3 p.m. in a hurricane-battered Florida, and we hope our many listeners in the Sunshine State are hunkered down uh, and staying safe uh, until the storm passes. It's uh, en route to South Carolina, I believe. Uh, 4 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes, half past four in Newfoundland. 8 p.m. In the imperial metropolis, where the king has restored the Tudor crown to the royal cipher. Going to be a lot of new cap badges throughout His Majesty's Dominions. Uh, 9pm on Bornholm Island in the Baltic, where the Danes are still trying to figure out who blew the Nord Stream pipelines. 10pm in Moscow where uh, Russian men seem not terribly happy about the military call-up. Half past 11 in Tehran, because it always helps to have a half-hour time zone when the world is going to end at midnight. 1 a.m. in New Delhi, 3.45 a.m. in Cocklebiddy, 7 a.m. in Auckland, and an even more convivial hour for the Saturday morning kippers and kedgeri in the rest of the Pacific. Today is Orange Shirt Day in Canada. I know what Pink Shirt Day is because I've uh, written newspaper columns mocking it, but I'm a bit hazy about Orange Shirt Day, all very reminiscent of uh, P.G. Woodhouse's character, Sir Roderick Spode, uh, whose fascist organisation is called the Black Shorts, because all the shirt colours have been taken. Let us get to your questions. Alyssa Angel is first up and says, "Putin's, uh, Putin and Biden's puppet masters are insane. How long before they blow us up? Indeed, it's fascinating to me how little coverage what's going on in the Baltic is getting in the US media. And I understand that there's a hurricane that has afflicted Florida uh, just at the moment when the powder keg went up in the Baltic. But even so, it's a big story. And uh, the hurricane, which is going to do what hurricanes do, unless, uh, as Joe Biden suggested, he's got a hurricane vaccine that everyone in Florida is mandated to have, and that will get the hurricane under control, get us down to zero hurricanes. Uh, Until uh, until that happens, there's not going to be much about what's going on in the Baltic in the American papers but it actually is huge it's a huge it represent whatever it is whoever did it as I was saying on the Mark Stein show last night it represents some kind of escalation stuff traveling along the bed of the seas and the oceans is what keeps the world together I I used it more or less as an aside But um, if you were to sever the Internet cables on the Atlantic, for example, so that you just and, you know, I assume people would take that seriously so they'd get them repaired within 24, 48 hours. Just those 24, 48 hours, the disruption to, say, banking transactions between London and New York would cost billions and billions and billions. So this, whoever did it, it represents a, uh, an escalation in this so-called Ukraine war, which isn't really about Ukraine at all. Um, but to go to the big question, how long before they blow us up? If you've uh, read After America, you know I'll quote uh, quote in there, right, I think it's right up front of the book, the uh, The famous line from uh, Hemingway in The Sun Also Rises, I think it is, if I recall correctly. The Sun Also Rises. It's a famous uh, Hemingway novel about Hunter Biden. Um, But I quote right in there, right at the beginning, uh, how did you go bankrupt, Bill asked. Two ways, Mike said, gradually and then suddenly. And what I talk about in the book, After America, is that we are in the gradual, or we were back when I wrote that, we were in the gradual phase, and the gradual phase eventually becomes sudden. And um, if you're interested in Armageddon, if you're interested in World War, that's very much the situation that a lot of Europe was in as 1914 began, and chugged along. Everyone understood, for example, that the Habsburg Empire was decrepit and was unlikely to survive the death of Franz Josef, the emperor. That's the gradual phase where you have the smell of decay is all around you. And people, you know, we had one guy here who uh, wound up leaving the Marx Stein club because he wasn't interested in trivia from the Habsburg Empire. You're living through the last days of the Habsburg Empire right now. So it's no time for stupid parochialism, right? You, you might actually benefit instead of uh, just uh, thinking that everything's hunky-dory and there's no point even comparing what's happening now To crapped out losers like the Habsburgs. Uh, But as I said, everyone, more or less every sentient person in the Habsburg Empire got the smell of decay and understood they were in the gradually phase. And then what happened was the Archduke got shot in Sarajevo and gradually became suddenly. And that's how it goes. You don't intend for it to become suddenly. Uh, Just as then, In fact, better, better, they, those guys were better. They were better than the guys running our world. Uh, They understood, they had that sense that something was coming to an end and they didn't, the only thing they didn't know was what precisely was going to put a button on it and say full stop or period, as they say in America. And what happened was then the archduke got assassinated now we're in that same phase there's there's very little holding america up it's perf- i when when i used to start doing uh, raving about the uh, Radetzky march novel by joseph roth which is about the end of the habsburg empire um it was generally uh, with uh, reference to the aged queen in london who is the most obvious comparison with the aged emperor in Vienna in 1914. Well, that queen has uh, since departed. Um, But the decrepitude is, uh, and she was working right till the day before she died, the decrepitude is far more obvious in Joe Biden, uh, both as a physical specimen and in the fact that he just talks complete bollocks in public And as in some dying empire, I mean, this is what is I I hear all this talk from the people. Don't wave that constitution. I don't want to start shouting that this early in the show. But I hear all that thought, this thought, this talk about the superiority of uh, constitutional republics and whatnot. But it is interesting to note that the media, we have now a guy uh, who scours the room for a dead person. That's that's what Biden just did in public. People found it embarrassing. And this is just a couple of days after he walked away from the microphone and stood at the edge of the stage, uncertain how to get off a stage, uncertain how to get into the wings, turning to some other guy for help and not knowing what to do, not knowing what to ask. OK, so we've got someone who's actually far more decrepit than Emperor Franz Josef, embodying the American empire right now. And, and the person who's going to succeed. And again... I'm making the Habsburg point here. For that guy who didn't want the trivia from the Habsburg Empire, uh, you should go and listen to the happy talk about who's your favorite superhero or whatever they're doing on your favorite talk show. Um, but that guy, uh, it's, it wasn't just the decrepitude of the emperor, but the decrepitude of the system underneath him. So, for example... We have a uh, decrepit emperor in the form of Joe Biden, who doesn't know where he is, doesn't know who's alive or dead. And then we have a decrepit system that insisted Uh, that uh, he had to have a female person of color as his running mate. The minute you start doing things like that, you just box yourself in. You've got a nation of 350 million people, but you wind up with third rate, fifth rate, seventh rate choices because you're prioritizing all sorts of irrelevant criteria. So the person who's going to succeed him because the next time he wanders away from the microphone, not sure how to get off the stage, he might just fall into the orchestra pit and die. And at that point, the person who succeeds him is a person who doesn't know whether uh, she's in North or South Korea, even when she's standing on the frontier uh, where there's one sign saying "Welcome to South Korea" and another sign saying "Welcome to North Korea." I mean, so the de- the stench of decrepitude. Is uh, is all around now. What happens in that situation is that people become aware uh, that there that there are last chances. There's last chances to do things, uh, and it becomes uh, and and that's how you wind up with something like the First World War because things. That you might have let slide or let go or maneuvered around in a more confident age uh, when intimations of mortality are in the air, then it all gets a lot it's it all gets a lot crazier and so <clears throat> just as nobody thought in July of nineteen fourteen the world would be at war in the next month. Right now we have a crazy situation we've had Let's let's say the people who think that Putin took out the pipeline are right. Well, in that case, as I said on on the Mark Stein show yesterday, that means, uh, you know, the next phase is he's, what did I say last night? I think nuking Carrickfergus, which is in beautiful Northern Ireland. But I could just as easily say nuking Cleveland. Because if he's prepared to do this to the Baltic Sea, who knows what the next stage is. But he's already, hes in his latest remarks, he said that as far as international law is concerned, <clears throat> the American attack on Japan is a nuclear precedent. Okay, is this the kind of talk you want to have in the air? Is there a reason why he's doing this? Is he deliberately threatening nukes because he's not planning to use nukes? Or is he threatening nukes because he is planning to use nukes? I mean, uh, he then started going on about the satanic West and talking about everybody having sex changes. And we've just, and he should know because we've just got a story about the first transgender officer in the US military shattering the glass ceiling of the glass bathroom. Uh, The first transgender officer in the U.S. military uh, has now been arrested for selling U.S. soldiers medical information to Russia. So he's certainly up to speed on transgender. So he's going on about all the sex changes in America, the satanic West and all the rest of it. We, We have had. As I said, it's 1914 in the Habsburg Empire. Everybody understands that we are coming to the end of something. We don't know officially when the end point is or what comes next, but we know we're coming to the end, and that's what is in the air in the Western world today. Eric Dale says, Mark and fellow club members, how close are we in the United States to direct war with Russia? It seems like the Biden administration is doing everything in its power to escalate conflict with Russia, and I get a sinking feeling that the US government is behind the pipeline sabotage, although I pray that I'm wrong on that. Did you ever think that we would pine for the restraint and prudence of Donald Trump? Also, what is your song suggestion for nuclear annihilation? I was thinking Skeeter Davis, The End of the World. Don't, I haven't heard that in years, don't they know? It's the end of the world. I haven't heard it in a long time. Uh, I tend to prefer, just because it's a slightly nuttier song, um, uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. (laughs) And I feel fine on that point, Eric. What's odd to me is um, when you say things like, quote, the US government, unquote, is behind the pipeline sabotage, that obviously invites the question, Uh, as uh, Alyssa put it, who is the US government? It's not Biden, obviously. It's not Kamala. In fact, when you see Kamala going around the planet, it's pretty clear they don't trust her with anything. They're not interested in her input on anything. Now, they're the only two elected members of the executive branch. Uh, Again, I don't want to do the don't wave your constitution at me thing too early in the show. But I'm just interested to know. I mean, clearly, whoever's running the government is someone who has not received a single solitary vote from an American citizen. You can guess. People say, "Oh, because uh, certainly you get the impression when you see people like Victoria Newland threatening." You know, who is the Assistant Deputy Undersecretary of whatever? When you see her out in public threatening to take out the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, there's no point asking where you go to vote out Victoria Newland because when Democrats are around, she's there. uh, I, I think I said she's like Polonius in Hamlet. You know, she's behind the Arras all the time. She's part of the permanent state. So the interesting thing about speculating on whether the U.S. government is behind the pipeline sabotage is who is that? Who would do that? You know, that's the that's the funny thing, isn't it? Is it is it just a rogue operation? One thing we learned from. If you follow it very closely from all that so-called Russia investigation is that in 2016 and indeed through to January 2017, uh, those guys were staying in close touch. The guys stiffing Trump and ensuring that his administration would be hobbled from day one, were doing so with the knowledge and uh, tacit or explicit support of the head of the executive branch. Now, I think we all know that's not happening. I think we all know that, you know, basically, uh, Uh, basically Biden and Harris are just passengers on their own ship of state. So again, it's very weird. Who the hell is running this joint? Alex Pressman says, Hi, Mark. Ukraine is pushing for NATO membership. Do they just want more graft or are we really heading into World War III? Well, you know, the point about Ukraine pushing for NATO membership is then it does become World War Three. then we do have NATO at war with the Russian Federation. And as the Russian Federation does not take the American view that the point of war is to string it out for 20 years in a sort of low-grade way so the military-industrial complex can make a fortune, uh, if, they go, if they wind up in a war with NATO, they will want to win that war. And the only way they can do that is by going nuclear. Uh, So, you know, again, it's like asking who the United States government is. What is NATO? NATO is a Second World War alliance that was there to defend an explicit old school conventional military threat from German tanks, uh, Russian tanks advancing across the East German plain. There's a room in the Pentagon where they still war game all that out. But since then, uh, NATO has massively expanded so that it goes up to Russia's frontiers. But what is it for? What does it do? It lost in Afghanistan. And again, I don't want to say, keep saying, as I said, on the Mark Stein show every two minutes, but if you miss the Mark Stein show each each night, you're missing out on a lot of casual throwaway observations. I did say at that point, you know, the idea that the United States would care a whit That, for example, they've just uh, ecologically contaminated one of their NATO allies. This island uh, where they they took out all the pipelines is the, uh, let me work this out, the easternmost part of Denmark. What is now Sweden used to be Denmark, but the Danes lost all that. It's now Sweden. But this place is actually so far east, it's east of Sweden. Uh, And it's the easternmost part of Denmark. Uh, They don't care about that. Just as as I said on the show, you know, uh, a Bagram Air Base, that's supposed to be America and its NATO allies. And uh, the NATO allies wake up one morning and where did all the Americans go? Wait a minute. They're gone. That's how much America cares about NATO. So I don't even know. Uh, I, I understand why Ukraine would want to be in NATO, uh, because it's some kind of protection for them and maybe getting 67 billion. Again, these are phenomenal sums. Just to reiterate a point, I again, as I was saying on the Mark Stein show, I might, I might as well get it made up as a jingle now, because I'm obviously going to be saying it every minute and a half. As I was saying on the Mark Stein show, as I was saying on the Mark Stein show, um The Americans in seven months have given, in the seven months of this war, have given $67 billion to Ukraine. The entire Russian military budget is $66 billion. I have no idea how you could begin to spend $67 $67 billion in Ukraine. When I was there, everything was dirt cheap. Uh, You'd stay in a hotel, it would be seven euros a night. So uh you would uh you you'd tip the waitress a euro and she would think you were some big shot Vegas high roller. She would she would think uh you know some huge pop star George Clooney or whoever just walked in and left the world's biggest tip. It's very difficult to see how you could legitimately spend $67 billion in Ukraine. Very, uh, very strange. Michelle Dulak says, OK, Mark, who done it? Uh, Max Boot, I remember him from Cal. His politics have changed rapidly since. Yeah, I know Max Boot. He was my uh, editor at the Wall Street Journal in, in another age. Uh, Max Boot says, Putin while not addressing the why would Putin blow up two very expensive pipelines when he can just turn off the spigot whenever he wants question. The alternative seems to be Biden, but it's difficult to imagine him using so much initiative. Yeah, if it is a whodunit, the Sherlock Holmes thing, the dog that didn't bark, the dogs that didn't bark here are the media. The Putin thing You know, might be true. Anything could be true, but you would be seeking supporting evidence for that. And right uh, at the time he blew them up, the Nord Stream system was only working at twenty percent capacity because he uh, it it, uh, it needed some repair work. Mysteriously, it had developed some problems and needed some repair work. Okay. So in that case he's taken out 80% of the potential gas he can be shipping to Germany and Europe so why would he then feel the need to blow it up in other words if you're going to say it's obviously putin you have to explain why it's so obvious and i don't i don't get that from any i, I f- Let's put, it, let's put it this way, uh, that it's, it's beginning to smell. I mean, it's smelling very quickly like one of these things where the media understands what's important here is not to ruffle the narrative. It's the same thing with the Trump and Russia stuff. Which actually is a lot more plausible. It's a lot more plausible that Trump has got some dodgy deals in Russia that he's prioritising. That actually, you could say, oh yeah, that that, yeah, he might want to, he might want to open up a Trump uh, resort in uh, Vladivostok or whatever. You know, you could say you you can put that out there, uh, and and you know, it is at least a hypothesis. The idea that Putin. Blew up his own pipelines that he controls is not a working hypothesis, absent any evidence. Uh, so I, I, I the fact, so the fact that the media just have all fallen into line with it uh, is itself, as they did with the Russia thing, uh, whatever it was five years ago, six, is in fact uh, rather telling. Uh, Tom Lewis says, Mark. The overwhelming election of Georgia Maloney is the best news I've had all year. Please give us your take if this is likely to spread over various other European nations. I assume Hungary is pleased. Hopefully so is Poland. Thanks for being you. (laughs) That's very sweet of you, Tom. I like that. Um, Well, uh, well, when you say the overwhelming, the, the coalition of the right, which includes multiple parties, including Signor Berlusconi, who is looking a little frail these days uh, from uh, uh, too much exertions, <laughs> too many exertions earlier in life. It's a coalition, as it is in Italy. So when you look at her party, they only got, I think it was, uh, what is it, 25% or whatever it was, um, which is, um, in Italian terms, is like fairly huge. Uh, it, you, you're not going to get 51% or whatever. Then you have, so, but this is a coalition of people whom one can, or one could seriously describe as right-wing. I think that's fair enough. What's happened in Sweden is a little different. The The only uh, really right wing element uh, of that coalition got 20% of the vote. And that's what's interesting to me is that uh, if you think of immigration, now for me, immigration is the most important thing because if you're the the immigration on a scale that it changes the character of a society very quickly uh, is an existential threat. So for me, the priority in the United Kingdom is immigration. The priority in Italy is immigration. The priority in France is immigration. The priority in Sweden is immigration. And the priority in Canada and the United States is immigration because it's an existential threat. It's transformative of a society's culture. And what is always slightly depressing to me when you hear that these... Uh, the, these alt-right parties or whatever you want to call them, populist right, nationalist right parties. Oh, they're coming along, they're doing very well. Oh, 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 oh. And then they seem to top out, as they do in Sweden, with about 20% of the vote, which means generally, as in Sweden, they have to govern with a bunch of squishes. Uh, and, and the squishes generally screw them over on a lot of stuff and the moment passes. So what I find encouraging about Italy in fact is that there's uh, there's none of that at all the 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 various factions of the coalition are all fairly hardcore and that's what disturbs europe and disturbs the european commission and what's it's this is not sweden this is not hungary this is not even austria this is one of the uh, the the six founding members of the European Union, which is the Benelux countries, France, Germany and Italy. So the fact that Italy has chosen Georgia Maloney is actually more significant in the corridors of Europower uh, than the fact that Hungary has chosen Viktor Orban or whatever. So they're going to be working seriously to destroy her premiership. And we will have to see Uh, How that goes. Uh, Jamie Marsh says Douglas Murray has what I think is a very balanced and nuanced column out today in the New York Post. I think is this his column from uh, London? Was it in whatever it was in? in, Was it in the sun in London or is it his spectator column? I can't remember, but I seem to have read a column. On by Douglas on this, on Giorgia Maloney and the background in general of Italian politics. He talks about the usual media demonization of any conservative politician and how the left and media are following the same standard playbook with her. My fear is that even though this strategy is so obvious, they keep using it because it works. How do we fight against this and what are your thoughts on Miss Maloney? Well, I think it, you know, it works some places and it doesn't work other places. The fact is that the the liberal so-called left of center rival to Georgia Maloney has come out and said the denunciations of Signora Maloney by the BBC, by NPR, by CNN, by the New York Times, by Uh, the Anglo media around the world by the Australians with their crazy thing, you know, that, oh, gay Australians, don't, don't, don't go to Italy. There's, 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 there's there's homophobias running in the streets. Uh, That's a particular stupidity of the Anglo media. And if you look at, and it's true that in Brussels, Cruella von der Leyen is determined to screw over Giorgia Maloney. But the reaction of the Anglo media, it was interesting to me to see a liberal Italian lefty politician say, No, no, I've known Giorgia Maloney for years. I don't agree with her, but this idea that she's the new Hitler is completely stupid. Now, you reverse that and you look uh, five years back at the Trump election and everyone going bananas over that. And you imagine what would have happened if Hillary Clinton had come out and said anything close to what uh, Georgia Maloney's rival said. I mean, it's impossible to imagine. No, not at all. No, Hillary uh, encouraged the delegitimization of the American president, and the lefty guy in Rome did exactly the opposite with the new Italian prime minister. I, and I can't emphasize this enough. I think right now uh, the Western world gets less West the further West you go, which is bonkers. So you, you, ha- politics is practiced in all its forms relatively normally in Eastern and Central Europe and even in Italy. And then it proceeds to the edge of the sea and it gets a little wonkier. And then you get to London and the new king and his various dominions in the British Isles, in Canada, in Australia, New Zealand. And you have in many parts of the Anglosphere off the charts bonkersness. And then you move further west to the United States, to the global superpower, and you have not only complete insanity, so that no one is even surprised that you appoint the first transgender officer in the US military, and then the tranny starts uh, selling all the secrets to the Kremlin. Nobody even and nobody even discusses it because it would be, you know it it would be bad form to wonder whether the the transgenderness and the treasonous treasonousness are connected in any way because it it would be bad form because you can't do that in America. So you have. Uh, as I said to Snerdly, uh on WABC a few weeks ago, that th- the, the difference in the United States is the scale of the—it's it's not just the insanity, but it's insanity bolstered by corruption. And at a certain level, like by this dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt FBI, which is now, we're told, is purging conservatives, the— uh, the it's backed up not just by corruption, but by the firepower of corrupt agencies. I mean, the FBI is basically the paramilitary wing of one of the parties in a two-party state. It has been for a long time now. And the pussy Republicans have done nothing about it. And most of them, I know these FBI, they're straight shooting, 99% of them are straight shooting G-men. Okay, maybe it's gone down at a 95% straight shooting G-men because they've started laying off some of the straight shooting G-men. But I'm proud to know law enforcement. My my mother played a prison guard in a lesbian prison movie. I stand with law enforcement. You know, You've got a particular level of, you've got insanity on steroids bulked up by corruption on a scale, you know, we have a very weird president, so-called, and he said the other day in public, he points to a girl, a lady in the audience, he's giving some address, And he goes, oh, hey, I haven't seen you in years. Go, oh, that takes me back. She was 12 and I was 30. And no one says anything. Everybody in the room laughs. (coughs) And no one says anything. None of the media think, what did he mean? She was 12 and I was 30. I mean, even if he was just joking, right? Uh, That's a slightly odd joke to make, isn't it? particularly when you've got a family that actually seems to have been, you know, seems very weird in its sexual predilections, just going from the photographs that are out there of Hunter with his hookers. Hunter, who, as soon as his brother dies, starts an, a, an affair with the dead brother's widow. We have a daughter who has weird tales of joe biden being naked in the showers with her when she's at an age where that's slightly the whole family is icky and creepy but because but again i go back to vienna 1914 uh you know oh we're constitutional republic checks and balances but, but, but well you're reacting to the entire biden family like the media of a corrupt monarchy does how about that why is that why is that uh it's uh, it's not it's not healthy so uh so my problem here is that uh we've inverted things and the countries that in the 1930s stayed more or less sane which is to say uh, the United States and the British Empire, while the European continent went nuts. That's all inverted now, uh, which is in itself which itself tells us that when the powder keg does go up this time, it's going to be even worse. Let's take a quick musical interlude. I got a bit of a tickle in my throat there, so I'm going to. Gulp down a bit of water. Uh, Speaking of the King, uh, last week I played one of His Majesty's favourite records, Dick Powell singing Lulu's Back in Town (laughs) from 1935. And considering you don't hear uh, the name much these days, there are actually quite a lot of Lulu songs Hey Lulu, Little Lulu, Bom Bom Lulu, Bang Bang Lulu. Honolulu, Lulu, Uh, but there are only really two great Lulu standards. Uh, The King likes Lulu's back in town. I have like that too, but I have a mild preference uh, for this one, written a decade earlier and very 1920s, all about a somewhat abandoned flapper. I wish we still had flappers. I can't remember the last time I ran into one at a party. At any rate. His Majesty the King enthuses over Lulu's back in town, uh, but I say, don't bring Lulu. Patty, Maxine, and the Andrews sisters. Your
1: presence is requested, wrote little Johnny White. But with this invitation, there is a stipulation. When you attend this party, you'll all be treated right. But there's a wild and wooly woman you boys can invite. You can bring Pearl, she's a darn nice girl, but don't bring Lulu. You can bring Rose with the turned up nose, but don't bring Lulu. Always wants to do what we boys don't want her to. When she struts her stuff around, London Bridge is falling down. You can bring cake or a porterhouse steak, but don't bring Lulu. Lulu gets blue and she goes cuckoo like the clock upon the shelf. She's the kind of smarty who breaks up every party. hullabaloo Lulu, don't bring Lulu. I'll bring her myself. Affair. and then along came Lulu and smiled Sammy Zulu. She started into Charleston and how the boys did stare but when she did the hula hula then she got the air. You can bring Nan with the old deadpan but don't bring Lulu. You can bring Tess with her no and yes but don't bring Lulu. boys keep our heads. Bulls go wild when they see red. You can bring peas and crawler and cheese, but don't bring Lulu. Give her two beers and she tears pour tears and she throws cups off the shelf. When she loves with feeling, the boys all hit the ceiling. Hollabaloo don't bring Lulu.
0: can bring Pearl. She's a darn nice girl. But with this invitation comes a stipulation. Don't bring Lulu. The Andrews Sisters, with orchestra arranged and conducted by Billy May, written by uh, two thirds of the great 1920s songwriting team. That's De Silva, Brown and Henderson. Nobody Buddy De Silva on this one, but Lou Brown and Ray Henderson were there with the third man role assigned to Billy Rose, although as often with Mr. Rose's credits, it's not altogether clear what, if anything, he contributed. And just to tie the King's favourite Lulu song to my favourite Lulu song, did you catch that middle section? When she struts her stuff around London Bridge is falling down. London Bridge is down was the code name for the death of Her Majesty the Queen, by which her private secretary and the Earl Marshal, the Duke of Norfolk, would convey the news to her prime ministers and governors general throughout the Commonwealth about 90 minutes before Buckingham Palace would release the official statement. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. Let's get back to your questions from Australia. Kate Smythe says, Hi, Mark. Great discussions on GB News. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. You know, people... I had uh, somebody asking me the other day why I wasn't on Fox anymore. And, uh, oh, it was a great shame. Please come back to Fox. used to like seeing you on Fox. As I've said, I only ever got asked to come on and talk about, you know, trivia. And I rather like the way on GB News uh, that we, you know, we talk about the the, the thing in the Baltic is a big thing. Uh, The people injured and killed by COVID vaccines is a big thing. The wider implications of the COVID regime and their transmogrification into the Great Reset is a big thing. Um, the, the changing cultural mores that enable Muslim rape gangs in Britain and the continent and elsewhere to get away with raping uh, sad, uh, abandoned white girls nobody cares about. That's an important—I don't want to talk about—I'm, I'm, as I always say, I'm 137 years old. I've said it so often, people note the fact that I'm always explicitly 137. I've been 137 for about three years now. I'm lying about my age. Uh, I'm 137 years old, and I don't want to spend the time that's left to me talking about Andrew Cuomo's dog. So thank you for those kind words about the GB show. We do our best, and uh, we're being rewarded with... uh, with good ratings. Uh, In view of recent events, says Kate Smythe, how do you see China and the World Economic Forum overlapping? You made the connection explicitly in a Q&A some time ago and implicitly on several occasions, but few others do. Is the World Economic Forum essentially the Western China class waging grey zone warfare from within, Using public health and climate emergencies. Thanks, says Kate Smythe. Yeah, uh, that's as good a way of putting it as any. What you have to look at is who's running. The Bidens are on the take from China. You know, I was talking about Hunter Biden the other day. He's a fellow who can barely function, and he's been enriched enormously by people connected to the Chinese Politburo, as has Joe uh, and as has Joe's brother Jim. They're on the take from China. They're connected to China in ways that people should not be. Uh, not if they had any proper sense of integrity, which is another thing that is totally absent from the American political class. And alas, uh, that's also true of those who are too close to the uh, American political class. So Justin Trudeau is also excessively connected to China. Rishi Sunak, who came close to becoming Britain's new prime minister, is also connected to China. Boris Johnson, through his siblings and his father, is, I can't even believe I'm saying this, is also uh, connected to China. So China gives the impression that it's bought up everybody it needs to buy up. which is slightly worrying, and it's uh, it's interesting too, from the point of view you wonder why this doesn't get talked about in the media more um, because you know you you don't have to scour to you know when you for instance, when people say oh I love I love such and such oh really what what station is that on? well it's on channel whatever. go and have a look at the names on the board of those broadcasters and just check carefully to see what kind of... I mean, it's always interesting to me the subjects that aren't brought up on certain channels. And you know, because it's in a particularly pitiful state at the moment, but you know if you were to just uh, tune around the dial of so-called rock-ribbed conservative radio, one reason why it just talks about parochial crap all the time uh, is because they're essentially shows that are on corporations that have great you know so it's interesting people understand that with there'll be a story about oh they took such and such a scene out of a Hollywood picture Because the parent company didn't want to offend the Chinese. Okay, why do you think that only applies to motion pictures, but it wouldn't apply to talk radio as well? I mean, people are very naive about these things. Uh, But the point here, Kate, is that most of these people behave as if China has already won. And there, whoever it was, uh, what, what uh, was it? Tally, who was it? Uh, the Frenchman was it? Talleyrand, who looked out at the mob surging in the streets, and his valet said to him, "Whose side are we on?" <laughs> and uh, Talleyrand, if it indeed was Monsieur Talleyrand, uh, said, "We don't know yet." <laughs> well, the uh, the guys in Washington and London. And Ottawa and on and on uh, don't give the impression that they're in the we don't know yet phase. They give the impression that China has already won and so certain arrangements with the new order have to be made. Michael Cavino asks, Hi, Mark. Anyone watching the aftermath of Hurricane Ian will notice that with the mass power outages, it is fossil fuel vehicles which allowed folks to flee before the hurricane struck and to undertake the massive cleanup of trees and debris. Shouldn't these scenes alone convince the world that green energy as the primary source of energy generation other than nuclear energy is simply futile? Loved the GB news shows this week, and great to see you are kicking Piers's butt. <laughs> Regards, Michael. Yeah, I shouldn't really pick on Piers because, you know, his, his numbers are absolutely appalling. Absolutely. I mean, I can't, I can't get... You have no... He's got like a £60 million budget. Uh, which goes a long way. He's got producers and assistant producers and assistant deputy underproducers for everything. Uh, and and uh, Mr. Murdoch did him the favor of buying him every bus side in the United Kingdom, every railway carriage, uh, putting his post. And, and it had this stupid picture of, you know, he's he's uh, half of him's a devil and half of him's an angel. Half of him's got horns and the other half's got a halo. You either love him or you hate him. And that's actually not true. Most people don't give a crap about him because he never says anything interesting. I'm just saying, I wouldn't be saying this if Rupert Murdoch, a man for whom I once had some respect as a, as a media entrepreneur, but he gave, he's given 50 million quid to this talentless host plus another 60 million quid, but that's 110 million pounds. Do you know what you could do? That's a big enough sum that it would interest Zelensky in Kiev. And he blew it on. It's one thing to buy Zelensky. It's another thing to blow 110 million quid buying Piers Morgan. God Almighty I don't know why Rupert is still because this is this is destroying you know Rupert has always had you know people who don't like Rupert, people who think he's ruthless nevertheless think he knows the business he's in now they still don't like him but they don't think he knows anything. Uh, anyway, I got a little diverted there Michael Cavino makes a very good point that it's fossil fuel v so if if when people say, Oh, you've got to get out. We're having an evacuation order for coastal cities. So jump in your car and leave right now. This is the emergency broadcasting system. Beep, 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 beep. Uh, and you think, oh, God, I've got to go. Uh, let's uh, get the kids, uh, get, get a couple of changes of clothing. We're getting in the car right now. Oh, we can't. We can't. I'm sorry. We bought an electric vehicle and it's going to need another four hours to complete charging. Yeah. That's the point. You're going nowhere. Somebody help you. Somebody help you. Yeah. You're not staying alive. That's how it goes for you. That's how people don't make the connection. People don't make the connection. Because it's not just, as you say, you know, the uh, the fossil fuel vehicles, Michael, as you rightly say, allow individuals to flee. Uh, but it's also fossil fuel vehicles that then come along and remove trees from the road and open up the closed uh, highway because the trees have fallen all over it. So people are stuck and can't flee uh, and they get the uh, fallen building out of the street, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that re- that requires fossil fuel vehicles too. But the thing about that is, if you're not going anywhere, you don't need the street cleared, do you? The Amazon drone can deliver your insect meal allowance for the next month. And you can just stay there. What they are doing here, you know, you know me. I've I've said before that I think the 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 peak of human society, is as we look at it, the peak of Human innovation came in the years between, and indeed the peak of uh, societal stability came in the years between 1848 and 1914, between the revolutions across Europe of that year and the day the powder keg went up, uh, whatever it is, two-thirds of a century later. And all the things that are important to us today, like the internal combustion engine, like manned flight, Uh, like the telephone, like the electric light bulb, were all invented in that period. As they say, the greatest invention of the 19th century was invention. The idea that you create things to make life better. What's changed? They're creating things to make life worse. Okay? So think about whether you'd... I accidentally rented an electric vehicle over the summer... And I did not enjoy the experience one bit because for a start, the vehicle seemed designed to discourage me from going anywhere Uh, because I'd set off and it would say, oh, uh, 87% or whatever it was. And then I'd be tootling along a bit. I'd look at it and it'd say, oh, 22%. Oh, God, I don't even have to get home now. I didn't enjoy it at all. It was an accident and it will never happen again. But things like Florida, it, it's not intended to be a, you know, what what often, what the great thing about the United States, right, people often invented, the, people invented things, have invented things throughout human history, but the main beneficiaries of them were often just uh, the kings and the nobility. And the great thing about um, America is that it would take inventions and make them for everybody. So... Uh, You know, uh, once they start manned flight, hither and yon, it's mainly for the wealthy. Uh, It's not for ordinary people. And then after the Second World War, uh, flying around in the sky becomes something that anyone can do. Same thing with motor cars was something that the rich had. And then Henry Ford figured out a way to make everybody have it. And they're doing the, and they're going back now to the way it used to be before the Ford Model T or before uh, mass international uh, jet flights, so that these things will just be the privilege of the super wealthy. They're reversing it. They're going back. And that's why the people who Al Gore, the pampered son of a senatorial big shot, uh, he, he belonged to the privileged class. The king belonged to the privileged class. So when he bemoans, uh, he, he starts talking seriously about the way Henry VIII it was his idea of a model environmentalist. Well, that's great for Henry VIII. Look at the way uh, a lot of the peasantry lived then. That's what he's got in mind for you. Uh, Patty DeBoer says, Mark, will the federal government provide any help to Florida or will they stall around to stick it to DeSantis? No, what they want to do is they want to make they want to hang this thing around DeSantis's neck. Uh, they want to get him to the point where he's given the hell of a job brownie sound bites or whatever. And when they're damaged, when he's damaged enough, then they want to come in and make it clear that it's DeSantis who blows in and, uh, and totals your neighborhood, wipes out the entire subdivision. There's double bites flying through the sky. That's on DeSantis. Uh, and then the cleanup is by uh, Joe Biden. I don't think they can make that work. I don't think they're, they're already, I think, exaggerating uh, aspects of this. I, but I hate that whole politicized, stupid politicized thing anyway. They do seriously because he the, there's a different there's been some argument both on air this week and in our comments section about DeSantis and Trump. I, I had an interview with DeSantis about COVID, not that long into it, where he says he re, he was all about the data from the beginning. And the only thing he regrets is that he thought he was a little too, uh, little too hardcore at the beginning because he was looking at the data from Italy, which you would think is... A reasonable thing to do. I certainly did at that time because it's that I don't really know how people live in Wuhan or what would be normal in Wuhan. I'm not sure I'd ever heard of Wuhan, uh, although we have had uh, club members resident there. But I'm not sure I, I was sufficient, I certainly wasn't f- sufficiently familiar with the way of life in Wuhan to know what it would look like when it was heavily disrupted. And it, it, obviously it's taking place in a prison state. Whereas I do know Northern Italy. A little, a little bit. I, I certainly know Lombardy, rural uh, northwestern Italy, quite well, and so it was much easier for me to fit what was happening into the pre-existing society. And Ron DeSantis said the same thing, and he uh, and he regrets that you know he had to make decisions there that were different from what he would have made after looking at six weeks of data. But the thing about it is where he uh, can claim to have been better than the federal government is that once he was on top of that, his position remained basically consistent. And it doesn't look as if he was being screwed over by people like Deborah Burks, who thought, well, what we need to do, okay, here's what we do. We'll lie to the guy we work for uh, so we sucker him into agreeing to something temporarily for 15 days. And then once we agree to it, he's never going to be able to get out of it, which I think I can't understand how you have people going around boasting about that. I mean, you know, why wouldn't then? If that's how if that's considered normal in the executive branch of the, U- the United States, why is it so difficult to believe there isn't a department where they go, well, what can they do? is uh, we're going to blow up these pipelines in the Baltic. Uh, Don't mention it to... uh uh, President uh, Brain Dead, because if we do, if we mention it, there'll be someone in the room who thinks, oh, I better give the Danes a head up, heads up on this. Uh, but we'll just do it. And then once we've done it, you know. I mean, you've got actually people in this system, oh, Constitutional Republic. Don't oh, wave that Constitution. You've got people under this Constitutional Republic writing best selling books in which they boast about how they lied to the chief executive, the head of the executive branch, the chief magistrate of the United States, and screwed him over. And everybody's oh, fantastic. That's the system we want. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Bradford Stephen Carl says, do you like Hemingway? If so, which novel the most? He's not really my, I mean, I read all those ones when I was a teenager and I do like that quote because it's such a great quote. Um, and I do like the old man that I'd probably say the old man and the sea because it's, you know, it's, but I, I see the appeal of Hemingway, but it, he's not my bag in that sense. I, I, uh, and I quite like muscular writing. I don't, Always like to feel the presence of the muscular author while I'm reading, in the same way, uh, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And uh, I, 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 and and as you'll know if you've read me uh, over the years, I'm the very—I don't write in anything like a Hemingway-esque style because my sentences are a lot longer, generally. and uh, that may be a problem all in itself, but um, no, I there, there's certain you know I'd rather read. I mean, in terms of American writers, I'd rather read Mark Twain or Scott Fitzgerald than Hemingway. But I do like the old man, and uh, and the sea. Have, have we got room for one? Oh, we'll take a couple more. Damien Carberry says, "Good day, Mark." As one of your oh, as one of your Australian co- I had no idea. I didn't see that coming. After you began with "Good Mark," "Good day, Mark." As one of your Australian cousins, I find the thought of 75-degree lobbies appalling at any time of year. However, I know the—it's not 75-degree lobbies. I know the British love to be toasty to the point of near suffocation. How many months do you give it before massive civil unrest at the out-of-control power bills? The government can't do a thing in the short term to stop it, even if it had the will. No, uh, the—it's not 75-degree lobbies. Lobbies in Germany are unheated. Lobbies are public buildings now, by order— if you're in the waiting room of a drafty 19th century railway station, the maximum permitted temperature is 66 degrees. In French public buildings, the mass maximum per- permitted temperature is now 64 degrees. This is choice. Uh, everybody thought Everybody thought, all these politicians thought they were just striking attitudes, the consequences of which would not arrive until long after they'd left office. They're arriving right now at the end of summer across the continent. John Fatshy says, happy Friday, Clubland Q&A. Mark, almost daily. You present to the world the brilliant journalism of Natalie Winters, Ava Vallardinger Broke et al. You have championed the heart wrenching plight of Samantha Smith, Vicki Spitt, and Charlotte Wright. All this and your public friendships with the brilliant Michelle Buckman and Laura Rosenkoen demonstrate that you are a leading voice of the modern feminist movement, the only current feminist movement, which is the conservative feminist movement. Why won't the woman? dominated public school system in America keep the boys out of the girls' room? Is the left cancelling women altogether? Does abortion erase womanhood? I would be willing to agree to abortions for incest and rape upon the pressing of such charges, Do sex criminals support abortion merely to erase the results of their crimes? I believe drawing this line in the sand can counter their stock argument for legal abortion. Well, almost all sexual predators support abortion. Doesn't matter whether you're talking about Bill Clinton or Harvey Weinstein or whoever it is. Of course they do. Because they want to be, because abortion is one of those things that basically operates in the guy's interest. You know, um, uh, oh yeah, uh, you you remember that wild Saturday night we had uh, a week and a half back? Yeah, unfortunately, there's a little bit of a car. Oh, don't worry, just hop in the car and I'll drive you to the nearest Planned Parenthood. Of course, abortion operates in the interests of uh, men. You talk more. widely, though, about what the problem here. Is. And you say, does abortion erase womanhood? What I think uh, people like J.K. Rowling have discerned is that right now, everything is erasing womanhood. You know, it's all about hierarchy, as uh, as I think it was Veronica from um, uh, New Zealand said in one of uh, her comments a couple of weeks back. All these things about hierarchy—we've we've seen it coming. You know, it's pretty clear that Muslim trumps gay. If you look at the disappearance of gay pubs from the East End of London, uh, or uh, gay nightclubs from uh, Amsterdam, or whatever, you can you can literally see that uh, Muslim trumps gay. And something is going on too with the trans thing—is that trans trumps lesbian, and ultimately trans. Trump's female because men are act men are basically doing such a bang up job of being women right now. We all we all know that we all see these stupid uh, stories. Um, who is it? It's the what's his name uh, Eddie Izzard, the the uh, cross dressing comic. I I haven't seen him in years, but we used to be on radio and telly shows occasionally. In fact, we sang a song uh, once. What was it we sang? It will. uh, Oh, these foolish things (laughs) on a BBC radio show one Sunday, impromptu. Uh, But Eddie Izzard, the Labour Party in Britain has all female um, shortlists for uh, candidates to be the Member of Parliament. And it's a stupid thing, uh, but Eddie Izzard has now said he's going to try and get on the all-female uh, shortlist to be the candidate because he identifies as a woman. That's how it's re- That's really how it's how it's going to go. We are seeing a tragedy at the moment because you didn't almost 90% of so-called sex changes were uh, male to female, and there were very few female to male for obvious. Logistical reasons that are summed up by sex change doctors as it's easier it's it's easier to make a hole than a pole, right? Uh, that's how the doctors put it. Now we have you, you see at the Tavistock Clinic in Britain, which is about to be shut down, and all over America, you just see this epidemic of poor, confused girls mutilating themselves, sterilizing themselves in order to be boys. And they make crap boys because the central element of boyhood, is. I hate to go all phallocentric about this, but I do think that in some semi-profound sense, it's a lot easier to be a girl with a penis than it is to be a boy, uh, uh, than it is to be a boy uh, without a penis. so the the general th- the, the, the the general trend here is actually and and again I the the smarter Savier uh, ladies like JK Rowling have discerned where this is heading that in some sense it is about the elimination of any kind of uh, sex-based identity, which has been part of the organizing principle for human society, and that if that is so, that is mainly uh, going to work out worse for women than it does for men. That's a big theme, and we should probably uh, do some kind of in-depth one-hour special or something all on itself. But that, that just, just, again, just to emphasize it, uh, John Fatchy says, does abortion erase womanhood? No. Right now, everything. Abortion, abortion is to the advantage of men. That is certainly true. But the, the issue for women right now is that everything is erasing womanhood as a meaningful identity, which I think is a, uh, a tragedy. I don't personally like it. I I I miss the old days when you knew what was what, as it were. But getting back to that is going to be very difficult. Uh, Someone in our comments section this week mentioned the late Kit Carson, uh, who was Rush's chief of staff through all the years of his show, decades, decades. Uh, And if you listen to Rush, Rush always referred to him as H.R. after Nixon's chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman. And so the comment uh, left uh, a couple of days ago uh, made me a little sad because I miss Kit and I miss Rush every day. Uh, and American radio is the poorer for their absence. And um, with one or two exceptions, is actually getting close to unlistenable in their absence. Um, and people were surprised if they uh, came up To Kit and me in a restaurant or at a social occasion, that we weren't engrossed in conversation about Mitch McConnell or Paul Ryan, but we'd be talking a little showbiz because Kit came from a very showbizzy family. And you will surely have seen his uncle Jack Carson in some film or other in Romance on the High Seas or Two Guys from Texas or Dangerous When Wet uh, with Esther Williams, A Star Is Born. Uh, with Judy Garland, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Tennessee Williams. He was a fine actor, a career cut short by cancer, just like dear old Kit's career was cut short by cancer. Uh, Here is Jack Carson for our closing music, duetting on the radio with a piece of somewhat undernourished special material written for that night's show. Nice idea, but not fully fleshed out. Uh, It's full of topical references to Bob Hope and Van Johnson and Bing Crosby's thinning hair. And so in this version of Don't Bring Lulu, they've left Lulu at home and instead have chosen not to bring someone else entirely. So here for uh, Rush Limbaugh fans who've always wondered about Kit Carson's radio background, is Kit's uncle, Jack Carson, on the air, duetting with Frank Sinatra.
1: I'll bring Ben, that freckle-faced man, but don't bring Crosby. I'll bring hope with a nose like a rope. But don't I bring a Crosby Pork by hat on top of his fuzz Not as much fuzz as they used to was When he wears those shirts to town Hey, the window shades come a tumbling down Cuomo can come and Carson that bum But don't uh, bring you-know-who I'm telling you that Boo-Boo-Boo-Boo Has to stay up on the shelf He came to town on the boxcars Now look at all his Oscars Don't bring Crosby, don't bring Crosby I'll bring him myself That that chubby rascal I'll bring him myself
0: Don't bring Lulu. Hey, never mind Lulu. Don't bring Crosby. With a tip of the hat to Rush's great chief of staff, the late Kit Carson. That was Kit's uncle, Jack Carson, duetting with Frank Sinatra on the radio in 1946. At Stein Online, the 100 Years Ago show, Rick McGuinness's movie pick, Stein song of the week. Big, tiny, little, and the boys will take us out. I'm gonna need my tap shoes for this one. Here we go. Clubland Q&A is a production of Markstein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. Rights Reserved.